So I decided to um, extend our Destination Series one more week because of something that happened last week, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. Um, But I want to uh, show you a video, and this is the Skit Guys, and they are going to introduce you to Pentecost. Pentecost is what happened after Jesus died on the cross. He was resurrected from the dead. He appeared to his disciples over several days, and then he tells them before he goes to heaven, he said, "Um, I want you to remain in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes, and then he'll tell you what to do after that. So here's the Skit Guys explaining to you Pentecost when the Holy Spirit first came on believers. Hey, Tommy and Eddie, the Skit Guys here, and we want to talk to you about a very special event in church history. That's right. Pentecost. It's the celebration when the Holy Spirit came down from heaven to dwell within us, the church. It's also one of my favorite moments in church history. Oh, yeah? Why is that? Oh, because it had to be insane, right? I mean, the Holy Spirit shows up. Everybody starts speaking in tongues. I mean, that had to be crazy. Wait, wait. Just so we're on the same page, you're, you're saying tongues, right? Tongues. Tongues? Right. Tongues. Tongues. We're totally saying the same thing. Acts chapter 2 describes this scene. Can you imagine what it must have been like to be there? Okay, um, okay, can I get everyone to quiet down, please? Shh, please quiet. Can I get people No, don't. Shh. Order in the court! Whoa, whoa, hey, Bull Shannon, this isn't night court. Just talk normal like one of the disciples. Okay, time out. Okay, hey, do you mind not interrupting my process? Okay. Sometimes I like to free flow linguistically, okay? And what you're doing is um, you're, well, you're, you're, you're clamping that. Oh. And, um, like, a, I don't know, like, a, like a clampy thing, you know, that clamp? Question. Yeah. Is this you right now free flowing linguistically? Because I want to make sure I'm aware of it and I see it when you do it. Is this your process? Because I want to be there for you when you do that. Is this it? It's been a few weeks since Jesus ascended, and this is a situation. Yeah, we've been reading some of your suggestions on what to call ourselves, and look, to be honest with you, some of them are worse than Bartholomew's beard. He's right. Bart, I love you, but your beard looks like Sasquatch got interrupted halfway through a face wax. Okay, Uh, somebody suggested we call ourselves Jesus and friends. Um, maybe it's just me. That sounds a little cultish. A little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. Do you hear that? Yes. It sounds like there's an ice cream truck outside. Time out. It sounds like an ice cream truck, he says. I'll take idiotic statements for 200, Alex. The verse says they heard a sound from heaven. Can you name something more heavenly sounding than an ice cream truck? (laughs) You know what I like about you, buddy? You live every day like it's Shark Week, don't you? Would you just go with me? Look, would you just be the Tinkerbell to my Peter Pan? Hey, I am nobody's Tinkerbell. Got me? Somebody's got Neverland baggage. Did you hear that? It sounds like a strong wind. Or an ice cream truck. 
All right, everyone, just just relax, calm down. We're going to go check this out. See? No ice cream truck. Yep. Just the flaming tongues descending from heaven. So, no ice cream truck. Sorry, Andrew, no dreamsicles today. Hey, is it just me? Or is everybody speaking in different languages? <laughs> right? Het is all het lighters van Zal van Christus in here. Mars Ander and Tinderling. Oh, Dios mío. Por qué son arreclamado? Por qué me son conquisto? Por qué me son conquisto? Delfes tenga que ver con el camión de helados? Jesuit tellement confus. It's been awesome to vote. Must have been confusing after the Spirit came down, but only until God's Word came through. You know, God spoke to everyone that day through His Spirit. Didn't matter what language they spoke or who was speaking. Isn't that a beautiful thing? God loves us so much that He goes to supernatural links to make sure we know His Word. And that's what Pentecost is all about. It's also about learning how to speak with tongues. I find if you hold them lightly, more than... I knew we weren't saying the same thing. All right, so that's a lighthearted look at it. But what happened is all of the disciples were gathered together and they were waiting on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit shows up, flames, uh, flaming tongues from heaven came and rest above each one of them. And um, the strange thing, or one of the strange things, is that when you count all the people who came, they heard the mighty rushing wind, they came rushing to see what was going on. Jerusalem's not all that big. They come and they try to figure out what's going on. There's at least 14 different languages represented there. So this was a miracle of God the first time that people heard the message of God in their own language. And it was confusing to them at the time because this is something that had never happened before in this way. And so here we are 2000 years later, and there's still a lot of confusion about speaking in tongues. And so we're just going to take today and we're going to talk about this because, um, we had an, uh, had an, somebody speak in tongues last week, and we want to look at what the Bible has to say about that. Now, let me back up and let me say this. Um, if, if you've been around church life any amount of time in the United States, there's, there's two extremes. On one extreme are folks who, who will say that, um, speaking in tongues is the evidence that you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and I've talked to lots of people this week. I've studied more scripture this week, more commentaries this week than, than I have probably for any message that I've done. Um, and, and so people will say, I, I had people tell me that they were taught that if you don't speak in tongues, that you haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit. And so you're not as spiritually mature as somebody else who speaks in tongues. And then I've talked to people who said, well, I've been in a church where they taught us that they didn't say that overtly, but that was kind of the feeling I was left with that if I don't speak in tongues, I'm, I'm, I'm not as mature as somebody else who speaks in tongues. And so that's one side of the pendulum is that, that everybody needs to speak in tongues as an evidence to the Holy Spirit. The other side, way over here on the other side are folks who are afraid of the gift. They're, they, they're scared of it. They don't understand it. And so they just don't even talk about it. 
they, they, um, they, they try to avoid it at all costs because they don't understand it. And even some people will say it's of the devil. Now, those are the two extremes. What we're going to do today is we're going to look at God's word and we're going we're gonna to ex- examine what it says. And I'm going to ask you to do something. I wore my glasses today on purpose. I was reading this week in a book, in a devotional kind of series I've been going through. It's called A Thousand Gifts. And it's about seeing God's word, uh, seeing the world through God's word. And she's called it putting on the glasses of, of the Bible, putting on the glasses of the Holy Spirit. And she was talking about how her son had gotten hurt and they'd had all kinds of loss in their family, children dying young and just all kinds of crazy stuff. And she said, she said, in the midst of that, I began to put on God's word. And even in sorrow, I could be thankful. And she said, she called it Eucharisteo. And we'll talk about that another time, but basically that's being broken. And that's what, that's what we do next week. We're doing the Lord's supper and and we're going to talk about Jesus being broken. Um, the, the innocent son of God was, was killed for our sins. That's the worst thing in history. He was broken. He was poured out. But in the midst of that, we can be thankful because he saved us from our sins. So something where he was broken and poured out, um, he, he turns around and makes that into the greatest thing in history. So, um, what I want you to do today is I want you to put aside all your biases. I want you to put aside, um, your own experiences and I want you to put on the glasses of God's word, put on the glasses of God's Holy Spirit so that you can see clearly because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. So what Jesus said, when he made that statement, he said, I am truth. Truth is a person. It's not a concept that you discover. Truth is a person who reveals to you his will. The, the way to God is a person. God reveals Jesus Christ to you and he reveals that you're lost and, and dead in your sins and that's how you get to heaven. And, and the, the only way to God's life, the only God life possible is through Jesus Christ. So you cannot know the truth of your experiences, present day experiences, past experiences, until you put on the glasses of, of the Holy Spirit, put on the glasses of God's holy word. Um, uh, you can't know the truth until you've heard from God. One of the ways God speaks to us is through the word. And so we we're going to open up God's word and we're going to see what God's word has to say about this. And I'm going to ask you to, to ask this question. Are my experiences or my, um, my interpretations, are they biblical? That's, that's all I'm going to ask you to do. Now, specifically today, we're going to look at first Corinthians. And you need to understand that the Corinthian church, Paul says in, in 1 7, 1 Corinthians 1 7, that they are the most gifted church. They lack no gift. And so I believe they were the most spiritually gifted church in history. They lacked no spiritual gift. And you can read all about the gifts, but they lack none of them. So if you thought there was ever going to be a church that functioned properly, you would think it would be the church in Corinth. And you would be wrong. There was so much division that, that Paul had to write this whole letter, this first letter to the Corinthians. Corinthians to explain to them how to do church. They were not focused on Christ. They called themselves Christ followers, but they were focused on other things. And, and Paul says, don't do that. So it, he starts in first Corinthians 12, and I'm going to read you some verses from first Corinthians 12. And, and I put these on, I added these this morning, so I, I didn't even put them on the screen, but, but here are some things. And I'm going to tell you what, what we need to, to glean from that. First is verse seven of first Corinthians 12. A spiritual gift is given to each one of us so we can help each other. So the purpose of gifts, this isn't on your listening guide yet. So just, just hang on. The purpose of gifts is to build up the body of Christ. That's a whole reason they were given to us. Second, it, uh, this is from verse Verse 11, it is the one and only spirit, Holy Spirit, who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. The Holy Spirit decides who gets what's, what gift. And then I'm going to read you uh, six verses here um, from starting in verse 25. This, the understanding of spiritual gifts, the fact that there's one God, he decides who gets the gift. He 
Put you in a body. This makes for harmony among members so that all members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body and each one of you is a part of it. Here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church. First, apostles. Second, are prophets. Third, are teachers. Then those who do miracles. Those who have the gift of healing. Those who can help others. Those who have the gift of leadership and those who speak in unknown languages or a tongue is what we're talking about there. Now, he asked some questions at the end of this. He said, is, are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages or a tongue? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages or a tongue? And then he answers himself, of course not. So no, anyway, I'll get to that. So you should eager, earnestly desire the most helpful gifts, but now let me show you the way that is best for all. All right, let me give you some things that that we glean out of chapter 12. Number one, God is in charge. I I asked the question on your listening guide. The title of this sermon is who is in charge. God is in charge. He's always in charge. It's all about him. Second, I don't choose my spiritual gift. We just read that the Holy Spirit decides who gets what gift. Third, No believer has every gift. Paul at the end, he says, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all speak in tongues? No, absolutely not. So no believer has every gift. And then number four, there is no one gift that every believer has. The purpose of gifts was to build up the body of Christ. And so let me just say this. If you don't know your spiritual gift and you're not using your spiritual gift in a local church, you're hurting two different people. Number one, you're hurting yourself. You're spiritually stunting your growth because you will never be the person that God created you to be. You'll never be a fully devoted follower of Christ until you know what your spiritual gift or gifts are. Every believer has at least one. And until you're using those, those gifts to build up the church. So you're hurting yourself and you're hurting the church if you don't use your spiritual gift. So all, all those things we glean out of chapter 12. Now we're going to go to the first part of chapter 13. And this is interesting because he's talking about spiritual gifts. He's talking to a church that has lots of division, lots of fighting, lots of competing. My gift is better than your gift. And in the middle of the discussion of spiritual gifts, he comes to the love chapter. You've heard this in, in weddings um, many times throughout your life. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels, so if I speak a known language or even an unknown language to me, or I speak some heavenly language, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Here's the point about spiritual gifts here. Spiritual gifts are worthless without love. So if I were to come over, and actually this is what happens a lot of times on, on Wednesday or Tuesday nights when we have band rehearsal. If, if I don't get into the next song or if I don't say, hey, let's go, I start talking to somebody or we start talking over here and practicing, um, the drummer, drummers cannot sit still. Our keyboard player can, he starts playing rock and roll, uh, go ahead and jump, you know, he starts playing that. John gets over here, John, he gets distracted and he starts singing it and I'm like, hey, hey, you know, and let's, let's get back. So here's the point. If, if I have a gift, let's, I, I believe I have the spiritual gift of teaching. That's what God has given me. If I use that gift, but I don't love you in the use of that gift, Michael could be over here just beating on the cymbals so loudly you couldn't understand me. And that's what was happening in the Corinthian church. Everybody in the band, if you will, everybody in the band was playing their own part. They weren't playing the same song. They weren't focusing on God. And Paul says, that's not right. So he says, stop it. And you have to understand that that the New Testament wasn't completed yet. 
There was no order in this church. Everybody was doing whatever they wanted to. And Paul says, stop it right now. And, and then Paul used his prophetic gift. Now, the, the spiritual gift of prophecy is different than Paul's prophetic gift. Paul's prophetic gift, when he spoke to this church, when he wrote this letter to 1 Corinthians, it's in the Bible. I do not have the gift of prophecy in that way because my words are not in Scripture. The Scripture was finished. Paul says it's once for all delivered to the saints so that there's no more being written to the Bible. If somebody ever tells you they have the prophetic gift and their words are on par with scripture, they're wrong. That's biblically inaccurate. It is, it is once for all delivered to the saints. And so my, now, now what, what we most closely related, if, if there's a spiritual gift of prophecy today, it would be closely related to teaching. It's someone who can see sin, call out sin, someone who doesn't want to compromise, who actually feels bad if we don't handle sin correctly. Um, that's, that's the gift of prophecy, the spiritual gift of prophecy today. Um, very, very closely related to teaching. So all of those things, um, Now, Paul says, stop doing that. Here's my prophetic word. It's in scripture. We're going to follow that. Now, look what he says, the first four verses of chapter 14. Let love be your highest goal. He said, he's reminding him, I just told you about love. Everything should be done in love. You are a noisy gong or clanging symbol. Your spiritual gifts are worthless without love. Let love be your highest goal. He said, but you should also desire the special abilities of the spirit. I'm using the New Living Translation here, but that's spiritual gifts. That whatever the spirit decides to give, he said, you should desire those gifts, especially the ability to prophesy. For if you have the ability, the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God since people won't be able to understand you. You will be speaking by the power of the spirit, but it will all be mysterious. But one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them and comforts them. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally, but one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. So here's a couple of things. The first thing about tongues specifically, He compares tongues and prophecy. First, he says, prophecy benefits everyone. And so if we're going to come down on one side, we're going to come down on prophecy because it benefits the whole church. When we're together, prophecy benefits the church. Tongues, he says, this is Paul. Get mad at Paul, not at Doug. Paul says tongues benefits the one speaking. And then lest you think he's just being mad at people who have the spiritual gifts of speaking in tongues, jump down to verse 18. Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you. He says, don't misunderstand. I speak in tongues more than any of you could ever hope to. Then look what he says. But in a church meeting, I would rather speak five understandable words to help others than 10,000. Do you understand the difference in this? Five understandable words as opposed to 10,000 words in a tongue that no one can understand. I don't know what, what, what those five words were, but I think Paul was saying, stop focusing on the gifts and focus on the gift giver. I should have put that on your listening guide. Stop because all they were saying is my gift's better than your gift. And in fact, in this church, they were saying that speaking in tongues was a higher gift than the other gifts. Paul actually says prophecy is higher because it benefits the church. Now, I don't know what those five words are, but I put down a whole bunch of five words. Jesus loves you this much. He said, it's better to say those five words, sit down and shut up than to do 10,000 words in a tongue. Could be in the beginning, God created five words, sit down, shut up. Jesus paid for your sin. Sit down, shut up. Jesus died on the cross. We could do this all day. Five words that everybody could understand is better than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now, next thing. If there's going to be tongues, there must be an interpreter. Must be an interpreter. 
Look what he says. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak one at a time and someone must interpret. Now, what was going on was everybody was doing their own thing. There was no order in that church. Paul says, I'm going to give you an order. One or two at the most, there must be an interpreter. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. If there's no interpreter, the one who has the gift of tongues is supposed to remain silent. And this is not a suggestion. This is a command. I command you, if there's no interpreter present, you should stay silent. Bible's very clear on this. Number four, God is a God of order. Paul says this in verse 33. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregation of the Lord's holy people. He's saying this is not just for you. This is in all the congregations. God is a God of order. If there's disorder, if there's chaos, that is not of God. Because God is a God of order. God is a God of peace. Now, everything in this, it must be done in order in our churches. And in the Corinthian church, there was no order. I want you to read 1 Corinthians. I want you to read the whole book. Because what you're going to see, that we actually know, Paul says that there was a letter they wrote to him. So the Corinthian church wrote to him first. We lost that letter. We don't know where it is. But we know that 1 Corinthians is his response to that letter. They said, we don't know what to do. We're this new congregation. Would you tell us what to do? Paul says, yes, I'll tell you. And it's so, uh, it so comes from God. It's a prophetic gift that it was written down. It's in scripture. He said, here's what you do. And you need to understand, this was the most messed up church that I think I've ever read about. They, they, uh, we're going to take the Lord's supper next week. Paul says in, in first Corinthians 11, he said, you're taking the Lord's supper in the wrong way. See, there were rich people who didn't like the poor people. And so they would have this big feast and the rich people wouldn't tell the poor people what time to get there. So they would come and they would eat their feast. And then the poor people would show up. And Paul says, Paul says, you're calling it a love feast. They call it agape, which, which not like what we talk about love. This was unconditional love. You're calling it an unconditional love feast and you're eating so that the poor people don't get food. He said, there is no love there. Stop doing that. He said, you need to eat at home. And when you come have the Lord's supper, do it in a proper manner. He said, some of you are sick. Some of you have died because you took the Lord's supper in an improper manner. And some of you should be scared to take the Lord's supper next week. I'll explain it more. And after that, you'll have an opportunity to do what you should. And then, then if you do what you should, you can take the Lord's Supper. But he said, this was the Corinthian church. There was an instance and, and in the first letter, in the first Corinthians, where there was a man in the church, because see, they were pretty liberal in their understanding of things. There was a man in the church, Paul says, he has, meaning he's sleeping with, he's living with, he's having sexual relationship with his father's Wife. Now we don't think, at least the stuff I've read, we don't think it was his biological mother, but it was someone that his dad had been married to. And he says, this is crazy. And not only is it existing in the church, you're approving of it by your silence. And Paul says, you got to do something about this. This was a messed up church. And Paul says, in the midst of that, (laughs) I'm going to give you order. And see, in our church... The way we do things, quite honestly, has to do with, with how I, my background. I grew up in, in, well, actually, I grew up in a fundamental Baptist church. You don't know what that is. That's a special blessing. Um, I mean, women couldn't wear, wear pants. They had to wear dresses. I remember as a kid going to picnics and women are hiking up their dresses to run to first base. You know, when they're, and I didn't understand that. I thought, why don't you wear pants? But that was illegal. You were, 
I mean, I'm telling you, this was very strict. So we moved to a Southern Baptist church and then I've gone to a Southern Baptist seminary. We are actually a Southern Baptist church. We are affiliated with the Southern Baptist of Texas convention. Um, but we don't do church like most Baptist churches do. And that's on purpose. We're not trying to hide it. I'll tell you, I'm going to tell the one-on-one class in just a minute about that. Why we are who, because my theology is Southern Baptist. When I read the scriptures, I'm very conservative, conservative theologically. But we do church like I used to do youth ministry. We had people come and they said, why can't we do this in big church? (laughs) Because of the deacons. And, And honestly, when we would go to camp and we would play loud music, God spoke to me, not just through, but see, I grew up on rock and roll. I think the electric guitar is one of the sexiest instruments in the world. An organ played the way Boston did it. That's awesome. Not, not the way every Baptist church I'd been in did it. And so when we choose music, people all the time say, hey, sing this song and, and I'll listen to it. If, if there's something wrong theologically, I'm not going to sing the song. We're not going to use it up here. The music has to move us. And and it has to honor God. So every week we pray, God, will you help us honor you? That's the number one goal of our church is to honor God. And then I pray that you will be inspired to change. Not by me, because our band, our people up here are, are gifted musically. Are they perfect? No, but they're gifted. Yes, they're gifted musically. And, and we rehearse. And when we rehearse the best we can do, we, we could, we could have an incredible rehearsal. God shows up and he just multiplies our efforts. We get to here and supernatural is the ceiling on our best day. It's right here. And we pray like crazy. God, every week, would you take what we're doing and would you make it supernatural? Only God can do that. You could get the best musicians in the world up here. If they don't know Jesus, supernatural is not happening. Right? So, so they're gifted. And, and by the way, the way you'll know what your spiritual gift is, is the church affirms it. If nobody ever affirms your gift, the, the first time I ever preached, I was 19 years old. My pastor asked me six months in a he- ahead of time. I was the youth minister. I was at Baylor. And he said, will you preach for me six months from now? And, and I'm, I'm, I'm one of those guys, you ask me far enough in advance, I'll say yes to almost anything. As the day got closer, I started going, oh, dear Jesus, what am I supposed to say to these people? I'm 19. Most of them were 800. I'm like, they got so much more experience than me. So I studied like crazy, spent a whole weekend pulling all-nighters. You know, I did that way too often for my term papers. But I, I, I studied to call my brother. I went to the, and, and I preached. And, and it was just this very simple sermon about faith and the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And I talked about faith as the foundation, like the foundation on a house. If your foundation is bad, then your faith is bad. If your foundation is good, then your faith is going to be good. And, and when I finished, some of my friends from Baylor had come to, to hear, and, and there was this deacon's wife who... Man, God just used her in my life. She said, when you first came, I thought, that dude's never going to make it. He's, he's timid. He's, he, yeah, I know. He's timid. He, he, these, these teenagers are going to eat him alive. And that day she said, you're going to be a preacher. I said, you're on crack. I don't want that job. I don't want to do that. She spoke a word into my life back then. And there's nothing I would rather do now than pastor this church. And I'm going to tell you, there's some supernatural that goes on here. 
because that's, it has to be God to have people on one side of the, the deal where, where they grew up in a Pentecostal church where they did all of this stuff. And we got people over here that squeak when they walk in this church. That's how big our God is. We've had divorced people not want to not want to leave the church, and so they sit on opposite sides. I hope none of y'all. We've had that because they're like we we sense God there. We want to be there. And and if nobody, if you think you have a certain gift and nobody ever says you got that gift, you don't have it. It's kind of like the gift of leadership. If you think you have leadership and and you start walking out the door and nobody's following you, you're not a leader. You're taking a walk. This happens all the time. I have people tell me I need to preach. And so sometimes I'll let them preach. And, and one guy years ago, he said, man, it's been years since you let me preach. And I said, but it was that bad. And he goes, what? And I said, we tried to help you. You didn't listen to any of the suggestions we gave you. We just figured that you didn't want to, you didn't want to be under authority. If you're not under authority, you can't preach here. Oh, Okay. People all the time. You know people who say they have the gift of teaching and, and, and you're looking at your watch. How fast? I got my Fitbit on. How fast my heartbeat going? You, you, they don't have the gift of teaching. If nobody ever tells you, and by the way, if somebody who doesn't know Jesus tells you you have a spiritual gift, I, I would question that because you need mature people who say, I see this in you. Here's another thing. Unbelievers will think you're crazy. If everybody's speaking in tongues, unbelievers will think you are crazy. And, and here, let me tell you this. Let me read this. Verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 23 through 25. If unbelievers or people who don't understand these things, meaning spiritual gifts. So all this stuff, I've, background I've given you from chapter 12, chapter 13, now chapter 14. If, if unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your church meeting and hear everyone speaking in an unknown language or a tongue, they will think you are crazy. But if you are all prophesying and unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your meeting, they will be convicted of sin and judged by what you say. As they listen, their secret thoughts will be exposed and they will fall to their knees and they will worship God, declaring God is truly here among you. This has happened. At least two self-proclaimed atheists have come to Christ in this church. Now that's radical to say, I don't believe there's a God till you come to a point that you fall on your knees and you say, there is no other name but Jesus. That's radical. And I've asked them both. I said, how did that happen? They said, stuff happened in here. And I thought, there's got to be a God because what's going on now? There must be a God. I've had drug addicts, drug dealers, atheists, agnostics. And in fact, about a year ago, there was a young lady who'd been really struggling with drugs. She came up after the service and she was weeping. And I said, hey, what's happening? (laughs) Didn't know her. She said, she goes, I don't know what's going on. And I said, tell me about it. She started telling me. And I said, God's getting your attention. That's what it is. She gave her heart to Christ. I baptized her a few weeks later. When, when you speak in a way that honors God, and then you pray that God will multiply your efforts supernaturally, he does things in people that we can't take credit for. And they come into the kingdom. It's what we're about. See, we value clear communication in videos. And we think it's okay to laugh. We think God has a sense of humor. Because look at your neighbor. We think it's okay to laugh. 
but we don't laugh at sin. And I'll tell you stories about me. I'm, I'm one of the dorkiest people ever. I don't care if you laugh at that. If you get the point about Jesus Christ, nothing dorky about him. It's okay to laugh, but we've got to take the word of God seriously. Now, look at verse 32 and 33. Remember that people who prophesy are in control of their spirit and can take turns. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the meetings of God's holy people. So I repeated verse 33 for you. Just like every other gift, the gift, the spiritual gift, is under the control of the person who exercises that gift. So if someone says, I can't help it, I'll give you an example. I, I go to my friend Cameron's church, and Cameron will say, Doug, do you have a word? And I'm like, dude, I just want to sit here. I want you to preach, and I want to listen for a change. Now, can you imagine if I go bursting in the doors? In fact, this happened here years ago, years ago. This happened here. Um, we had just moved in the church, and, and the doors opened over here, and somebody goes, Hello! And I mean, there's like 10 people in the living room. We call that the living room out there. And, and I went, Hi? And the lady said, do you have testimonies in this church? And it was the spirit of God. I said, not today. I was thinking, I don't know you from Adam. I've had people, people message me on Facebook. You need to hear my testimony. Your church needs to hear my testimony. <laughs> if this is one of you, sorry. This, this is where the gift of prophecy is going to come out. And they'll say, you need to hear my testimony because it's incredible. And I say, well, you know what we do at our church? We video testimonies. That way, we can edit things. If you misspeak, we can do it again. We can, we can do a hundred takes if we need to. And then we'll determine when God wants us to use that video in our service. 99% of the time. Actually, I don't think there's somebody's come back. Somebody who, who I don't know from Adam who says, you need, I need to speak in front of your church. When I say that to them, they do not come. To me, that's God, that's God going, you didn't need to use them. So I'm not going to go to Cameron's church and say, dude, I need to speak in front of your church. I need to sing at your church. I play guitar. Mm -mm, I'm not doing that. When I go to somebody else's church, I'm going to be under that authority. Now, we were in Haiti at Jock Mel, uh, Pastor Jude's church, and, and Pastor Jude came up, and it was hilarious because he doesn't speak English, and I speak very little Creole, and he's talking to me, and I, I, got, um, I got a few words out, and then I was like, you want me to preach tomorrow? Because I was hoping not to. I mean, not that I don't like it, but I just... He goes... I said, okay. Now, imagine... If I, sat in, if I stood in front of his congregation and I preached in English and there was no translator. Because we've actually sat through three hours of, of worship services in Haiti where we didn't have a translator. We don't have a clue what's going on. We're like, those kids are so cute. You know, you, I mean, you talk about easily to get distracted. You don't know what's going on. But when we have a translator in our midst who goes, hey, he's reading from this passage. And he said this and, hey, he's welcoming your church. Then, then God gets the glory and, and people who don't know the language can go, God was in this place. So, so if somebody says that they, that, that they couldn't help themselves, whether that's prophecy or whether that's tongues or whatever, that's biblically inaccurate. Because you're, you are in charge even when you're controlled by the Holy Spirit. That's what, that's what the scripture is, what Paul says. 
So, so specifically, I want you to know that this, this person reached out to me and we're going to get together when I get back, Janie and I are going on vacation. We're going to get together. And they said, I love your church. I want to talk to you about this. And I said, thank you so much for contacting me. And, and, and reconciliation is what I want because God gets the glory for that. So my purpose in going, yes, I want to teach, but I want to reconcile and I want this person back in our church. God's big enough. Yes. God's big enough. Now you need to understand we started our church for unbelievers. It's the reason we exist. We've had believers come up. I've had people say, dude, I just, I've had people say to me, I just don't care about the lost. And I've said, this is not the church for you. You need to leave. You need to go somewhere. See you in heaven. And, and, and honestly, that's okay. If they go and worship Jesus and give and do all of that stuff in another church and see them, that's okay. What's not okay is that one person within driving distance of this church goes to hell because somebody didn't speak in a way that they could understand. And I've said it before. I'll say it till I die. Which could be today. Wouldn't that be awesome? You'd never forget this sermon. <laughs> I don't know who Janie's going to take on the cruise, but no. Oh my gosh. If we have to choose, if we have to choose between a believer in Christ or a lost person, we will choose the lost person and we will see you in heaven. And if you don't like that, there are several exits. Go serve somewhere else. It's okay. But I cannot let people go to hell without at least trying to, to reach them. I had a whole other section, but I, I, I got off of that. I will go to my grave teaching and defending that the spirit-filled life is evidenced not so much by spiritual gifts as it is by living out the fruit of the spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You want to be filled with the Spirit, live those things. Because the Bible says, against such things, there is no law. So I'm I'm going to argue that the best witness for Christ is someone who exhibits the fruit of the Spirit. Because you can do those out there. Your spiritual gift is supposed to be done in here. To build up the body of Christ. You can do the fruit of the spirit anywhere and it should be. Jesus Christ said, let your light shine before men in such a way that they see your good works and glorify your heavenly father. He's in charge. It's all about him. If we're ever up here trying to put the spotlight on ourselves, we're wrong. Do you have to speak in tongues to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Absolutely not. That's biblically inaccurate. You want to reflect Christ where you make a difference, live out. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Faithfulness. Speak clearly, Doug. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the type of church I want to be a part of. And I think some of you do too. Would you bow your heads for a moment? Father... We want to be under your authority, whether we like what you have to say or not, because we're not in charge. 
And when we get in trouble is when we try to be. So God, may we be a church of love. May we be a church that pours out grace. That when something happens that we don't understand, we go to your word with a desire to know what you have to say and a desire to be under your authority before we even hear what you have to say. You're looking for radical obedience. Breaks my heart that most of us aren't radically obedient. We're semi-obedient. God, protect the fellowship of your bride and teach us the truth of your word so that we may have the mind of Christ. We can discern spirits, you said. We can know whether something is of God or not but only if we're under your authority. Help us to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.